Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this March 2012 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on the online family tree. And we've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you. First, we're going to stop by the Genealogy Insider blog and talk with managing editor Diane Haddad about what's new in the world of genealogy. And then in our top tips segment, Family Tree Magazine author and instructor Nancy Hendrickson will be back to share tips about verifying data in online family trees from her article, One in a Million, from the April-May 2012 issue of Family Tree Magazine. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to take a look at MyHeritage.com. It's a website that specializes in family trees. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Thomas McKenty will be here to give us some tips for using online trees to help find living relatives. And those tips come from his Family Tree University on-demand webinar called They're Alive. And then our own Carrie Scott will be back with another edition of the Social Media Minute. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who's going to have some great resources for us as always. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Diane Haddad. going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere and here to help us get the scoop on what's going on in the world of genealogy is the genealogy insider blogger diane haddad hi diane hi well now here we are in the uh, early part of 2012 and of course we are knee deep in the who do you think you are um television series here in the u.s and you've been talking and writing about it on your blog um boy reba mcintyre's episode was wonderful wasn't it it was. I think it was the ratings for that episode were the best all year. Really? So, I mean, and you know who doesn't love her? She's so spunky yeah. and cute, and, and she was just so deeply affected by everything she was learning in this episode. Yeah, she sure was. And I really enjoyed this one in particular, even more so than Martin Sheen's, which didn't go back very far um, from right. most of the episode. This one really took her through, and she seemed very involved. You know, at least they sh- represented her as being involved in the process. It was neat to see the mm-hmm. research process. And I hear that from a lot of people on Facebook and on our blog that they really like to see the subject of the show get in there and go to the library and look through the census records. And then they also like to have an archivist or a librarian there kind of explaining what everything is and, you know, why this record has certain information. I like that to see that part of the research process happening, too. Yeah, exactly. Now, I know that there are um, more episodes to come. This is probably, would you say, the longest series they've had at any given time uh, here in the U.S.? I mean, as far as how many episodes they're doing? With the most people this year? Yeah. I think so. Um, I'm trying to remember all of them off the top of my head. I know Jerome Bettis is coming up, Mm -hmm. and then there's Rashida Jones, and um, help me out with some of them. Yeah, and Rob Lowe and, and Paula Dean, uh-huh. like you say. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. And I I think that um Reba's it was really I don't know, she seemed so heartfelt about how touched she was and I thought it was really interesting that she kept saying, I wanna know why <laughs> Don't you feel like that too? It's like, you know, why I see that they, they traveled on the passenger list, but why would you put your son, you know, and to really think about it as right. a mom. 
what it would be like to send your son overseas. And what I what I really liked, she got she got very upset at her ancestor who was the one who um, sent his son overseas as an indentured servant. And then she stepped back and she said, "Wait a minute, I need to find out more about why because I don't know what was going on at the time." And that's something that I think is important to keep in mind, you know, with for anybody in any kind of genealogy research is to not make judgments because yeah. we don't know the context of the situation. So we have to find out as much as possible before deciding how we feel about a particular ancestor and what their behavior was. It's easy to want to brush stroke somebody with one stroke or the other. Oh, he was a mean guy. He put his child on this boat and sent him across. Or oh my gosh, he made a future possible for him and all his descendants that would never have been possible. And it was, like you say, it was a really good reminder that we have to resist that temptation. Yeah, I I loved this episode. I liked the one before it, too, the Blair Underwood episode a lot. Um, I think he was similarly affected by what he was finding. And then they actually found a cousin in Africa who'd taken a DNA test. Which is just, I mean, what can the chances be? Yeah. And then to see that match. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, if you have, by chance, uh, not watched it on DVR yet, if you recorded it or if you missed an episode, go back and check the Genealogy Insider blog because Diana is keeping us up to date on all the episodes. And she's got some video clips there as well. Some that uh, kind of summarize the episode, but some behind the scenes too, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very, one of the deleted scenes for the Reba McIntyre episode was um, she actually looked at the ship that this boy was on. And I think that that got her anger going some more because it was so tiny and dark. And so it's, the deleted scenes have a lot of extra information. Oh, it must be so hard to produce that show and decide what stays in and what stays out. Mm -hmm. But if you uh, miss the stuff that stayed out, it's on her blog. So check out the Genealogy Insider blog. And um, we will look forward to more episodes and, of course, talking about the 1940 census. There's so much coming up in April. We'll, We'll talk to you next month, Diane. Okay, thanks. Well, whether you're working on adoption research, reconnecting after a generations-old family feud, or just looking to track down your third cousin to share photos, finding living people is a key part of every genealogist's journey. Well, in today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Thomas McKenty will share a few of his secrets for finding your long-lost relatives from his on-demand webinar for Family Tree magazine called They're Alive. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Doing great. Well, you know, Thomas, we all know that we should start our genealogical search by talking to our oldest living relatives, of course. But people often forget that there are probably other relatives out there besides the ones that we're close to that may be just as important to interview. How are online trees going to help us find those folks? Well, online trees, it depends on the site that you're using, and I might use Ancestry if I can as an example. Very often, they set up a system where you can contact the owner of that tree, the person that put the tree up. Now, you won't see living individual information, which is a good thing. We don't want that information shared on a family tree, but you almost always have a contact point for the owner of the tree, and uh, you fill out a form usually, and if that person wants to respond back to you, they usually will, and then you can have a dialogue after that. 
So in terms of privacy, of course, we're all being careful not to put, you know, information about living people on our family trees. But as you're saying, it's the um, ability to contact each other. And then we can decide if we want to share that information, right? Exactly. I always That's what I always advocate. Uh, also, you know, in terms of when you want to reach out, say that you have tracked down uh, a phone number or an email or an address for someone. I never cold call someone on the phone. I almost always, Lisa, send a letter. And the reason is I put the ball in their court. I let them make the decisions and control the situation in terms of whether they want to contact me or not. So, uh Again, that's what it comes down to. When you're going to reach out, make sure that uh, you have all the information uh, provided and then leave it up to them as to whether they want to get back to you or not. Oh, that's really good advice. Now, I know that a lot of people have said, well, anybody and everybody can put information on a family tree online. So we don't always know if it's correct. How do you deal with that when you're finding information that doesn't look quite right? Exactly. Well, you know, even when I'm out on uh, search engines like Google or Zaba Search is one of the resources we talk about looking up information for living people, you will find a lot of erroneous information. People move. Americans love to move around. And someone may have five addresses in five years, and you don't always know what is the correct address, the phone number, etc. So it's a matter of using your sleuthing skills, using your evidence skills that you You've developed as a genealogist and put the pieces together. If you're looking for someone who you think is 85, you know that it's not going to be that some person listed as 27 uh, with the same name in Zaba Search. Uh, if you think that you know they've always lived in Mississippi, it doesn't make sense that someone in Alaska could be that same person. So I think that's the best approach. Exactly. You just use your logic and uh, piecing this information together. Now. I'm thinking in terms of the online webinar that you did, I know that you shared some great tips. Tell us more about what you covered in that webinar. Well, we covered a lot of the resources that are out there. I think it's a shock to people. If you were to do what I call an ego search, where you search for your own name, you'd be surprised at some of the information that is out there on the internet. And keep in mind that this is public record information. If you've ever had a court case Uh, Sometimes even if you paid a traffic ticket, depending on the jurisdiction, that information is available out on the Internet. And uh, it is legal. It is publicly available. What has happened is a lot of companies will send people down to the courts every morning to collect all the public information on court filings, etc., and then they incorporate that into their database. So what has happened is whereas 20 years ago you had to go yourself down to the court and search for this. Now people can do this from the comfort of their own home. So that's why it's under more scrutiny. I hope that makes sense. As people think, they think, wow, it's all there. It's always been there. It's just, it's easier to access. So I think that is one of the areas that we cover. We cover what are public records? uh, How does the information get there? And we talk about a lot of websites where you can find this public information for living people. I think you're making such a great point, and it's one I often share with people because they think that this is like something that just happened in the last five years. It's not that 
the records were not available before. It's the delivery system, right? It's like now we can get it like a fire hose <laughs> of information. Right. It is the technology, but also it means that you use it responsibly. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go ahead and post all that information on my blog or website. You know, I'm going to use that information wisely to contact people. Also, I have to say that this has been a boon to a lot of organizations in terms of that try and track down missing people or missing relatives. So uh, the technology advances – while they are positive, a lot of people are kind of shocked at the availability of this information. Yeah, so true. Now, I'm curious, you've been doing your research for quite some time and obviously are, are passionate about this topic. Can you give us um, some ideas or an example of kind of how this has played into your own research and finding living relatives? Exactly. Well, on, you know, on my mother's side uh, and the McCrickert line, which is MC. E-C-R-I-C-K-E-R-T, not McCricket, McCrickert. Uh, there was a, a, a great aunt that I had heard about. Her name was Dulcide, D-U-L-C-I-D-E, which is a very unusual name. And uh, for some reason, she went by the name of Del, D-E-L, and she sort of dropped off the face of the earth in the mid-50s. And so what I did is I did my research. I found her son living on Long Island. I found her married name. And I actually sent him a letter, which is the approach that I do. I included the family tree. I always show how we're connected so I don't come across as a scam artist or making this up. And then I left him my phone number, my email, and all my contact information. I also insert a self-addressed stamped envelope as a courtesy. And then I did get a phone call two weeks later on an Easter Sunday, and we talked for about an hour in terms of his mother, uh, my great aunt, and actually the story about how she came to be separated from the family. Wow, fascinating stuff. Well, this, I hope, is proof to everybody listening that once you've talked to the living relatives, those older folks in your family that you do know, it is really worth the time and the effort to then go out and find the other living relatives who you don't know yet. And certainly, this on-demand webinar, it's called They're Alive, is certainly going to help you accomplish just that. Oh, Thomas, always so fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Great, you're welcome. Well, in today's 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family History, uh, we are talking about family trees, of course, here on this episode. So it seemed to make sense to take a visit with MyHeritage.com. Now, this is a website specializing in family trees, along with a lot of other stuff. And um, to help me out to introduce you to the website and tell you more about it is Chief Genealogist of MyHeritage, Daniel Horowitz. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Lisa. How are you? We're doing great. We're talking about family trees in this episode, and I know that uh, that is something that you know quite a bit about. Tell us um, what my heritage offers us in family trees. Okay. Well, first, uh, we offer you a basic site uh, for free to host uh, your family tree or to build it from scratch, meaning that if you have a JetCom or another family tree uh, in another software or website, you can always come to my heritage and upload it directly. Now, uh, we do offer more than just that, of course. We have a technology like the smart matches, where we try to compare the information in your family tree to the other uh, currently 959 million 
profiles from other uh, 22 million family trees. And if we found a match, then we will alert you. And in that way, you will be able to connect with the other users that may be researching the same uh, family trees. We also offer you a place to store your pictures, which are going to be treated with face recognition, meaning that you will be able to tag people in the pictures and connect them to the family tree. And wherever you see the name of the person, we will show you the face. And uh, for human beings, this is very important as we recognize people by their faces. We give you calendar alerts on all your events on the family tree. So no more forgetting any birthday or anniversary in your family. And very recently, we introduced uh, a couple of uh, very uh, nice features, starting with the mobile app for iPhone and Android which and iPad which allows you to take uh, your family tree with you uh, wherever you are, uh, especially very good for family uh, reunions. We partner with uh, Family Tree DNA in case that you would like to do a DNA test and join other uh, possible relative and discover more uh, through DNA. And the last uh, feature we just added is the family calendar which allows you to print uh, a calendar for any person in your family uh, with all the events uh, for the close relatives that they may have. Wow, a lot of different services to kind of leverage this information that we have in our family tree and hopefully make us connections. You were talking about the smart matching. And am I correct in thinking that what it's doing is it's looking in, at each individual person on the tree and then seeing if that person matches somebody else it, and it shows up in somebody else's tree as well? Basically, yes. But we go beyond that. Meaning that not because I have a Daniel Horowitz on my family tree, it means that all the Daniel Horowitz in other family trees are related to me. We also check for birth, date, places, death information, and also close family, meaning that the person will have to match not only his information, but also his parents' information or siblings, kids, wife, etc. And according to that, we can rate if the match is uh, 85%, 86%, so the users will not lose time on false positive and will be concentrated on real, real matches or real possible matches. That sounds really terrific because really what we're looking for is quality information, not just all the information possible. Because like you say, not everything is, is a close match. And I had an opportunity to meet with uh, your CEO, Gilad Jaffet, and he was showing me your brand new calendar. And I just think that is such a neat tool because it's so quick. It's like one or two clicks and you could literally populate an entire family history calendar. I could think of so many ways we might use that, whether it's uh, a Christmas gift or giving them away at family reunions. Pretty neat. And that just came out, right? Yes, uh, this uh, was released just a couple of days uh, ago, uh, like March uh, 10, if I recall correct. And uh, it, it's supported in 38 languages, as all the features are on my heritage. And yes, in about uh, three clicks, you can create a calendar. We provide uh, with some uh, 
default designs and of course we will center the calendar first on you but then you can choose any other person as and as you said if you have a relative uh, that you would like to send a personalized calendar for his own family you only need to choose him uh, from the list of people in your family tree make sure that we put in not only all his uh, personal events but also some holidays depending on the country where the person reside and uh, then you just order it and the person will receive the calendar uh, by mail printed calendar by mail or you can get it to yourself as you said if you're planning a family meeting and then distribute it uh, to the family coming to the to the gathering Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any tips for users who come and they decide, okay, I'm going to go ahead and upload my JEDCOM to my heritage and try to get started? What are one or two things that you think that people should really keep in mind as, as they're getting started with my heritage? Well, actually, that is the very first uh, wonderful tip to put in as, as, as much information as they can so the smart matches uh, will work properly. And, and to be patient, uh, because we are improving every day. Uh, since we acquire lately World Vital Records, we are starting to give people also hints, not only in other uh, family trees, but also on records that we have uh, in, in, in World Vital Records side. And, and we're improving that. So you need to be patient, need to upload pictures, and also invite uh, other family members not only uh, so they can see the result of all this research, but also to collaborate and, and maybe help you building this uh, family tree and, and provide you with more information, keep it updated with new birth uh, and new events that may happen in the family. And, and all the family really is going to enjoy very much uh, this, uh, this work. And getting started is free, correct? That's right. You can start it for free. You can either, as I said, upload a JETCOM uh, or start it from scratch. If you start from, from the beginning, when you hit the 250 people in the tree, you're going to be presented with uh, the warning that you're approaching the limit. Uh, if you upload a JETCOM, uh, every person in the JETCOM will go to the website, no matter the, the 250 limitation, and the website will be completely used for a couple of, of days or a week or so, and then you will get a warning that you are over the limit and that you should become premium. Uh, that will give you not only more space for your family tree, but also uh, features like the timeline and the time book, which are very nice things that we're doing with the information you are providing. It's a different way to present the information that you have in your family tree to make it more interesting for other family members. Exactly. Oh, it sounds great. Daniel, thank you so much for taking time out to give us a little audio tour of MyHeritage.com. My pleasure, Lisa. Enjoy. Well, you can find a lot of information in online family trees, but it's critical to verify the data that you uncover. Nancy Hendrickson is here to give us some strategies from her article called One in a Million, which appears in the April-May issue of Family Tree Magazine, and from her new book, Discover Your Family History Online. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Thank you, Lisa. 
You know, it was so exciting when family trees started coming online and genealogists started connecting. But what are some of the things that we need to keep in mind as we're working with family trees? What do we need to look out for um, with all this new data that's becoming available? You know, Lisa, that's a great question. And you're right. It, it really is a boon to genealogists to be able to get online and connect with people who are researching your own family tree, which is, by the way, just kind of my little aside. A lot of times people want to build a website, but they want to make it private only to their family. And when they do that, they really uh, are not able to connect with other family tree researchers. And I found a tremendous amount just by networking with other people that I would never have met had I not found their website. So just something to keep in mind if you're building a family tree. I think the big issue is that I don't know if it's an American thing or a human thing. If we see something in print, we think it's true. Yeah. And it, it, it is amazing the things people will find online and think are absolute, you know, are the gospel. And uh, there have been so many mistakes I found in online trees. And I think one of the things people need to really look at is can you verify any of the data that you found online? And is the data that you have found, has it been sourced? Because most family trees I found online have absolutely no source information whatsoever. You don't know if, if they got this from Uncle Jim or if they got it from going to sitting in front of a microfilm and finding the record in official documents. That's, that's the big issue. That's so true. And, you know, when you talk about things in print, back in the day before online family trees, of course, we might find a family history that was published. But even then, if it wasn't sourced, you know, we're not always sure that it was completely accurate. And and yet there's just 10 times more data now with the online trees. So I'm with you sourcing it. Um, I guess what you're saying is we just can't get away from good, solid genealogical research to make sure that our tree is correct. You know, that's really true. And I know that if you're a beginning genealogist and you log into Family Search or Ancestry and you find, you know, your your line back to 1400, it is thrilling to think that that might be your family or that is your family. But you at that point, then you can either stop and just say, that's my family. Or you can actually start verifying the information, which which I really recommend. And a couple of ways to do that is start looking for original documents. And if you're not a library person, go to the FamilySearch.org website and see if any of the official documents about your family are online. Because all the time new documents are being added. I just found a, a Chicago birth certificate for a friend of mine not long ago. And Family Search is now adding a lot of images to their official documents. So that, I'd go there first because it's free. Oh, I agree. And don't you think, really, unless you've had an opportunity to, to see it in the original document, sometimes even with an original signature, you're really missing some of the, the excitement and the joy of family history research. Well, you are. Uh, you know, I was researching for someone else and Someone on Ancestry had put up a document about a, a branch of that family, and they had included a photograph of the family home in Montreal in the late 1800s. And she was absolutely thrilled to be able to actually see that house. 
And we got on Google Earth and flew there to see what it looks like today. And it, it is just amazing when you can see the document, you can see the handwriting. That That's amazing. Exactly. I mean, just just the richness, the whole story, not just the names on, on the tree that you find. So, you know, you're talking about I want to go back a little bit to what you said about sharing, because I was at a conference recently, and somebody was very concerned about security and whether they should put things online. And I thought, well, you know, it's interesting, because when we published our books 20 years ago, they were still public, people could still get get them in the library. The only difference is now that it's all bigger and faster. (laughs) But you're really missing that connection, aren't you, if you don't make it public? You are. And I know this is a huge issue in the community. And Honestly, one I've never understood. I do understand not putting, you know, living people's names and dates of birth, death, etc. I understand not putting that online, and I totally agree with it. But the reality is, you know, I, I know people are afraid that there's information will be stolen. But as I understand it, data itself is not copyrightable. In other words, if I said George Washington was born on X date and that was on my website, that piece of data is not copyrightable. If somebody took every piece of information on my site and republished it, that is copyrightable. But I, I don't think most people have the wherewithal or the energy to go taking everything off anybody's site. And why wouldn't you want to share what you found? Because in my many years in genealogy, that's a key to being a genealogist is sharing. So I I don't have an answer to that one. Yeah. Can't help. Well, and I agree that, that if we stop that sharing element, then boy, we really changed the whole game because that's always been our tradition is that we, we do share. And the truth is, if we see a tree online and we don't see sources, that's the red flag right there. We know there are more steps to take. And and one of the ways we can take those steps, of course, is you have your new book, Discover Your Family History Online. Before I let you go, I want you to really tell us a little bit about what we're going to find there. Because for some people, even though the internet's been around for a while, this is all pretty new and they've been dabbling. They really haven't seized the opportunities there. Well, thanks. Uh, Thanks for asking about it. You know, the subtitle of this book is A Step-by-Step Guide to Starting Your Genealogy Search. And I really have tried to go into each element of genealogy from military to land records to vital records uh, to show people step by step how to use the resources online. And yes, I do talk about some subscription sites like Ancestry, but I've really tried to stay with the free sites because I know a lot of people don't want to subscribe, uh, you know, have a subscription service. And, you know, I've, I've covered some things that um, I think that you probably have covered in, in your Google book because Google is, I swear, I think it was made for genealogists, especially when you're doing land <laughs> records. I totally agree. <laughs> when you're doing land records and you want to fly over and see that parcel of land where it is today, it's amazing what you can do. But I, I talk a lot about, you know, military history, other records, and I just want to say briefly on military records, getting back to your original question about how do we verify things, you know, if you have a family story that says great-great-grandpa was wounded at Gettysburg, it's really easy to go online to somewhere like this, the free soldiers and sailors system, 
find grandpa in the roster. It'll tell you the regiment he was in, and it will generally have a history of the regiment. And if you don't find Gettysburg in that regimental history, grandpa was not at, at Gettysburg. So there are some very easy ways to verify what you're finding online or family lore. Yeah, great point. And in fact, I think we've even covered that website here on the show because it is tremendous. Oh my gosh, there's there's so much to cover and we can only do a little bit of justice to it in our few minutes here together on the podcast. But I encourage you to check out two of our resources here. We've got the One in a Million article that is in the April-May 2012 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And of course, Nancy's brand new book, Discover Your Family History Online, which is just a one, boy, just set it by your desk <laughs> right there next to the computer and use it uh, throughout your research. Always nice to talk with you, Nancy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, always love it. Thanks, Lisa. Hi everyone, this is Carrie Scott, the social media expert at Family Tree Magazine. You probably already use Facebook for staying connected to friends and family, but you may not know that you can also use it to connect with your ancestors. I'll tell you how in this edition of the Social Media Minute. Facebook is a great tool for staying connected to your friends, including those you haven't seen for years. You can also use it though to find people who knew your ancestors. Many towns, especially small towns, have unofficial Facebook pages run by past or present residents. These pages can have photos, information on old hangouts or popular activities, and all kinds of other information you can only get by listening to people reminisce about the good old days. My husband is from a town called Glenbeulah, Wisconsin. It only has about 300 residents today, but a hundred years ago it was a bustling little town and my husband's family has lived there since it was founded. We found a Glenn Beulah page on Facebook that had dozens of photos and stories from people who lived there back in his grandparents' days. We posted a picture of his great-grandfather's business, and a number of people remembered it. One even shared his memories of my husband's great-grandfather himself. It was great to be able to share those tidbits with our own children. Try using the Facebook search box at the top of your screen to search for the names of your ancestors' hometowns. For some pages, you may need to request access from an administrator, but most will let you in if you explain why you want to see it. In fact, many will welcome you with open arms if you're willing to share information or photos. Check out our podcast notes page for more information, including a link to some of my favorite small-town Facebook pages. As we wrap up this March 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, this is such a busy time of year, I think, particularly right after the holidays, before the warm weather sets in. Tell us what you've been uh, up to lately and been busy with. Well, this is a busy time for us. Um, you know, we've got a lot of family history related occasions going on in the month of March. And so um, lots of stuff to talk about. First, obviously, um, for all of those of you who have Irish heritage, um, you have an important holiday coming up in St. Patrick's mm -hmm. Day. My husband is of Irish descent, and it's a big time in our household <laughs> where we have corned beef and cabbage and um, go to the parades and all of that fun stuff. So um, we look forward to that every year. And um, for those of you doing your Irish genealogy, 
we are offering a great resource for you in shopfamilytree.com. It's our Irish genealogy value pack, and it's got some of our best resources for tracing your Irish roots, including an independent study course and um, some download material and an ebook. Oh, fantastic. So lots of resources. This is a great time of year. You know, we're in the mood anyway. And I can't believe how many people I talk to who at some point run into Irish heritage. So boy, that's just perfect for this time of year. But it's also, um, I didn't realize this, you were just telling me it's Women's History Month as well. It is Women's History Month. And who doesn't have challenges in tracing their female ancestors, right? Right. So we also have a women's history value pack um, that we've put together for in honor of this occasion. And it includes some of our guides to tracing female ancestors, of course. But also, you know, I think one of the most interesting aspects of this in genealogy is, you know, the stories behind the people. I mean, that's true of men or women. But even if a woman ancestor in your family tree is a little bit harder to trace, you can really learn a lot about what their life would have been like um, mm-hmm. through social history. And so that's a really strong component here, too. We have this great book. Um, it's actually a craft book. It's the Farmer's Wife Quilt Blocks. And it actually includes letters that um, were written uh, in the 1920s from real live farmers' wives. Oh. And it gives you such a neat insight into, um, you know, not only the craft, but just the times that they were living in and the actual people. Um, it's really great. And then, of course, one of the things that I always encourage and like to preach a little bit is for all of our descendants to make sure that you're capturing the stories for your right. descendants. And we have a great book written by Sonny Morton called My Life and Times. And I think it's a, it would be like a great Mother's Day gift where if you gave it to your mom or grandma or you know whoever, to be able to write down those stories of their life so that um, you know when a future genealogist comes along, there won't have to be those mysteries in trying to trace um, about their life. Exactly. You know, actually, Sunny's been a guest on my show for about the last six episodes. She's been doing a, a brief segment series on her, My Life and Times. And, and the book is fascinating. And her ideas for capturing those stories and that heritage, you know, it's interesting because the women oftentimes weren't very documented. But boy, thank goodness we were all the keepers of the stories and, and the oral heritage as well, um, because the, it's so rich. It really is, and that's one of the things I love about Sunny's book is sometimes it's hard to think of all of those stories unless you have something to jog your memory, and there's so many great questions that help jog memories. As I read through it, I thought about all kinds of things that I probably wouldn't come up with on my own, but having Mm -hmm. that prompt there to kickstart my memories a little bit was really helpful. Exactly. In fact, I'll have to dig this up. I have a video... um, that I did on my YouTube channel about a quilt that we have in our family. I was thinking about that book that you mentioned, which I can't wait to, to read, where each of the women in my family quilted one block, and they embroidered their name, their birth year, and their where they were living at that time on the block. And, oh my gosh, that by itself is is a priceless document. I mean, I know we just yeah. we love it in our family. So we did a little video on that. My cousin and I, who I've never met, but we've we've gotten together and researched and collaborated online, which, of course, is a wonderful thing that we can do today that we couldn't even do 20 years ago. And finally, talk about being online and kind of virtually getting together. 
there was the virtual conference, right, in March. Tell us how that went. Oh, it was fantastic. And, you know, you were there uh, as a presenter. Yes. And, of course, that was wonderful. Um, great information on newspapers was the class that you um, taught for us. But, yeah, it was such a great way to be able to get people together from all over the world, really. Many of our participants are from the United States, but um, you could be anywhere and participate in our virtual conference, which is exactly. what's so amazing. And, you know, you don't have to worry about travel or, you know, the expense of hotel rooms or airfare or anything like that. You can just log on from home, whatever you happen to have going on in your life that same weekend doesn't have to get in the way. You just come on whenever it's convenient to you. Um, and I think one of the best parts of it is you get to experience everything. You don't, because it's so flexible, you don't have to worry about, I need to be in this place at this time. You can download all of the classes and watch them, you know, when it's convenient to you. You can participate in the, you know, real-time discussions and chats, um, which is great as well. But, um, you know, there's just so much more flexibility. And um, all of our participants really came away with, feeling enriched and they had a great time and you know I feel like I made friends at our last conference that um, I'll keep with me in my genealogy pursuits in years to come so it's really a really good time. Exactly. I love it. It kind of puts the genealogist in the driver's seat. (laughs) We all have such different schedules and we can all still come together and yet have that flexibility, which I think was great. That's what I heard people raving about. Well, it certainly has been a busy month and it's going to be even more so. We're going to have all the resources that Allison mentioned in the show notes for you so that you can uh, get in touch with those there. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next month. The big 1940 census is coming out. And wait a minute, you've got another virtual conference coming up later this year. Tell us the dates. Oh, we do. Um, If you didn't make this one, or even if you did, um, be sure to save the dates for September 14th through 16th. That'll be our next one, and we hope to see you there. Wonderful. All right. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me for this March 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You will find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Next, go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including, of course, the MyHeritage website, Nancy Hendrickson's new book, Discover Your Family History Online, and the on-demand webinar, They're Alive. And in the March April 2012 issue of the magazine, don't miss Thomas McKenty's toolkit article. It's called Tools to Locate Living Relatives, which features five great tools that you're going to want to use. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.